0: following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. So glad to have you along for the ride as we continue to talk about our favorite topic, and that would be cars. Um, one thing I did want to mention, Lou, one thing we we tend to do here on the Car Guys Report, of course, I've got a few more cars in my collection than you do, so it seems like I'm always doing something with something that I own, and about a month ago, I just kind of got a bug in my butt for whatever reason about wanting to uh, upgrade the uh, springs on my Porsche Cayenne. I have a 2008 Cayenne S, so that's got the naturally aspirated uh, V8 in it. And when I first bought that vehicle about five years ago, I put the Porsche Sport Design package on it, which gives it the exact its the exact stuff that they put on the Cayenne GTS. So it has a, a bi-wing spoiler on the back. It's, it's fairly subtle, but it is the exact same stuff that you find on a GTS. And the GTS has the same engine in it, except it's juiced for about 20 more horsepower. But then the Cayenne... GTS also is lowered and I didn't want to have I'm not a person that super lowers my cars Um, I've lowered my my Fiat about an inch and a half. I'm going to lower the Firebird about an inch and a half to two inches. And then the Cayenne, I just wanted to get a little bit of a drop on it. And uh, H&R, which is a brand out of Germany, those are the springs that I have in my Fiat 500. They make a a spring set for the Cayenne, which drops at 1.3 inches, I think, in front and like an inch and a half in back. And... It's fine. Um, I don't have any issues with with uh, anything. I just don't know if ultimately if it was really worth the the, the cost of admission once installation was done, um, the, the springs themselves weren't that expensive, but of course installation runs a, a, a fair amount, and then you have to get the whole car realigned, obviously when you're putting in new springs. To me, there's not a huge difference in the way the car looks. I know it's a little lower. Most people looking at it probably wouldn't wouldn't notice it. so if I had to do it again, I probably wouldn't do it. But I certainly don't have any any regrets that I did do it. So I guess it just kind of one of those one of those things. But I did want to mention that because it is something I had done to one of my cars, and I hadn't yet talked about it. But uh, a couple so
1: why, of why did you want why did you want to lower it?
0: I just just for looks, just appearance. I mean, I don't you know, it's not a performance issue or anything not a like handling? that. No, no, the car. I mean, I was always amazed at how well the. How well the Cayenne handles. I mean, for a, a vehicle that weighs fifty-two hundred pounds, this was the first gen uh, Cayenne when they brought out the second gen in two thousand and. 12, I believe it was, they trimmed about five, 600 pounds out of the cars, which is a lot. But this thing weighs 5,200 pounds. And I'm just always amazed at how flat it corners and, and everything for wow. an SUV. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great vehicle. I have really no complaints. And with the, I wanted the V8. I didn't need the turbo V8. I just wanted the standard uh, naturally aspirated V8. And it kicks up close to 400 horsepower. and wow. It's got great sound, great power. Yeah, it's it's a great vehicle. It really is. So... I just wanted to tweak it up just a little bit more, and that's really all I'm going to do with it. Uh, I, that would be the final thing I've done, because the only other stuff I did, like I said, I, I did the uh, sport design package, I didn't do anything on the inside. I put a set of 19-inch rims on it, uh, some fab speed uh, quad uh, polished uh, exhaust tips on it, things like that. Just appearance package because That's usually what I'm into. I just want to personalize my cars to a certain extent, but not go overboard. But um one very neat car that I saw on the road, and it's funny because I saw this uh, a couple weeks before uh Hemings classic car had actually a feature on this vehicle. Of course you remember the Ford Ranchero, which was the first um, uh, pickup based uh car. Uh, came out in 1957, I believe. And then a couple years later, Chevrolet followed with the El Camino, which they then discontinued for several years and then reintroduced it in the mid to late sixties. And Ford, the original Ranchero was just based on a you know 1957 standard Ford sedan. But then they actually brought out a, a version of the Ranchero based on the Ford Falcon, which was this small uh, compact car, which is the same chassis as the Mustang. Is that correct? When the 64 and a half Mustang was introduced, it was on the Falcon chassis. Yeah. yeah. And you don't see too many of the Ford Falcon Rancheros uh, on the road. And they they made two versions of the early ones, which were the older style Falcon, and then the newer ones, which had the the restyled body so it has a sleeker look. And this was one of the early ones. I was guessing it was probably about a 61 Ford Falcon Ranchero. And it was uh, a light beige in color. And it looked incredible because it looked all original. People like to hop those things up and, and do all kinds of stuff to them. But this one looked, appeared to be all original, and it was just a really... Really cool-looking car, and you just don't see those on the road. And uh, the Hemmings article featured one that was uh, the later model uh, Ranchero, uh, Falcon Ranchero, and you can get like a 280. You could have gotten like a 289 in that thing. The car that they featured had a 289 in it. I'm like, that thing would have some get up and go because there's, there's nothing in back you. <laughs> yeah,
1: nothing in back. And, and, and I know the earlier ones had like a 260, I yeah. think, which was the board out to uh, 289, I think. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And if I'm saying anything wrong, people can correct us.
0: And well, speaking of, of people correcting us, uh, so far nobody has, but they have been uh, emailing us periodically and popped into our inbox uh, the other day at, at com. Pete uh, sent us an email said he loves the show. Thank you very much, Pete. And he's just wondering and this is something I've kind of wondered too. So Pete, your your uh, inquiry was very timely. How many speeds are too many? for an automatic transmission these days because i've got cars i mean obviously my 1958 impala has a two-speed power glide which is absolutely ancient and that thing will wind out to 50 or 60 if you really hammer it before it shifts into second um then i've got my 75 firebird with just a three-speed turbo hydromatic 350 in it and then i've got um Speaking with automatic transmissions, I've got my Porsche Cayenne, which has a six-speed automatic. I've got my Mercedes, which has a seven-speed automatic. I've got the Porsche 911 with a seven-speed PDK, which is the twin-clutch automatic. Uh, of course the the one and we're going to do, do a feature on this in a, in a subsequent show uh ZF uh is making that uh ubiquitous 8-speed transmission which is just automatic which is just in like every car out there these days they really hit a home run on that one you know Fiat Chrysler has a 9-speed automatic uh, Ford and Chevy both have 10 speed automatics now and just like where does this madness end I mean you, you know the reason they're doing it is is mainly to to reach uh, corporate average fuel economy standards because then the more speeds the transmission has in it the engine will theoretically the way they can tune it it'll always be operating at it's most efficient part and the thing that, that really gets me is I mean you get into a modern car that's got a, a 6 or more speed automatic in it and you're just tooling down the road by the time you at 30 miles an hour, you're already in like fourth or fifth gear because it just keeps shifting because it wants to keep keep you in that range where your engine speed is, is barely over idle. I mean, it amazes me when I'm driving down the highway, I, maybe I'm doing 55 or 60 in the Mercedes, which is a seven speed automatic, and I'll be literally turning like 1200 RPMs. I mean, that's like idle speed on an old right. car. It's unbelievable. And I can understand why they do that. But the thing that that i think pete is asking is if you've got a car that's got a four-cylinder engine a modern four-cylinder whether it's a two two liter turbo 2.4 liter naturally aspirated and especially fiat chrysler they're tacking on a nine-speed automatic to a four-cylinder engine which is already inherently going to be pretty darn fuel efficient anyway And that's one of the biggest complaints that you read about in a lot of the car magazines. Is 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 the modern some of the modern transmissions, especially when you've got a smaller engine. They always seem to be looking for the right gear, and you're going to feel it a lot more when you've only got a little four banger out there versus a V8 that's feeding into a, a, a multi-speed automatic because you've just got more power and torque there, so you're not going to feel the shifts or notice that it's shifting. But a little four-cylinder is going to be going up and down all the time, and it seems like it's wheezing. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you, you just bought, again, we, we were talking about your wife's Lincoln a lot. How many speeds is that transmission?
1: You know, I think it's a four- or five-speed transmission, maybe even a six. It's an automatic, obviously, being a, a Lincoln SUV. But uh, um, to your point, it's a, the EcoBoost boost four banger with a with a a turbo on it but that turbo sounds like you're you know drinking out of a tin can yeah I'm not really totally impressed with that versus if I have the same year V6 um, you know it's it's quiet and smooth and actually I get about the same gas mileage Mm -hmm. so uh, I'd much rather go with the V6, but uh, it's her car, so we give her what she wants.
0: Exactly. There you go. But <laughs> it's just something to, to consider because I, I think, to me, um, since seven speeds is the is the optimum, is what I have, I, I can't really see wanting to get a car with more than seven or eight speeds in an automatic transmission. I just think nine, ten. And you know that they're going to come out with, you know, 11 and 12 speeds have got to be right around the corner if they're already up to 10 speeds. But it's just something that we're we're gonna have to live with, I guess, and just see how it goes. But, but I'll take a ten speed automatic over a, a CVT continuously variable transmission any day because I've I've never owned one of those, but I have had friends that have had those, and they just say they're they're terrible. And uh, they're, again, they're good for 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 um, gas mileage, but performance wise, they're just not really the best. So, speaking of uh, what uh, we do here on the uh, Car Guys Report. Um, let me get to my right page. There we go. Uh, you Make sure you tell your car guy friends and car girl friends about the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Me and Luke Costable do this here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter. And of course, you can email us like Pete did with that question about multi speed automatic transmissions. We're available at Car Guys Report at Hotmail. Dot com. Lou, have you ever seen the cars that have the little green valve cover caps on the rims? Yeah, I own one. Okay. Do you have the nitrogen in your in your tires? Then I do. You do, and is that on the
1: Viper? Not on the Viper. It's on uh, my Explorer. And um, as I was explained, the nitrogen is just a bigger molecule, so it doesn't seep out of the. That's that's through the, the through the, the rubber the,
0: the theory that yeah that, that the nitrogen is larger, so it doesn't. Uh, Seep out uh, over time like a regular air or oxygen would, and that way your tires stay inflated better longer, things like that. But the thing that is interesting is you're paying about five dollars more per tire to have nitrogen in your tires, and it's you just can't go down to a, a gas station or plug in your compressor at home and, and pump up nitrogen in your in your uh, tires from home, but the air that you put into a regular tire is already 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen and 1% other gases. So you're already getting three quarters of the air that you're putting in a standard tire is already nitrogen. So I don't think it's worth it. Okay. Okay. Uh, what do you do when you need air in that in that in uh, in your Explorer, then, with the nitrogen in your tires?
1: Well, the funny thing, Mark, is I've never needed a nitrogen in my tires. <laughs> and hands. how
0: often do you check your tire pressure?
1: Well, my tire pressure seems to be good, so I haven't had to check it. Sometimes you could just walk by it, but the only time that I've had to change it was when you actually changed the tire. If you yeah, get, get you know, new tires get, or whatever. 60,000 okay. miles or something. So, but yeah, no, I've actually never had to, I've had, I would be a nitrogen fan.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. To so point counterpoint here. Yeah. This is great. Cause I've never had it personally and I just don't see that it'd be worth the the hassle. And I'm,
1: this isn't going to be something we're really going to arm wrestle because you know, whether it's air or nitrogen, that's fine.
0: Plus there's other things too. I mean, like, especially the climate that we live in here in the Midwest, that's if true. you've got, if you've got, uh, Temperature changes, that's always going to change the pressure in your tire. Um, and then also, too, if you just have like, you know, every car has pretty much uh, some sort of uh, cast aluminum or whatever kind of uh, mag wheel on it these days. And you can get corrosion on those. And I remember in the early days, uh, in the 80s, when when cast aluminum wheels were becoming more popular, some of the compounds that they're the alloys they were using were were porous on their own. And they were causing a lot of air loss just through the metal wow um and obviously if a, a an alloy wheel uh starts to corrode um that's gonna uh allow more air to seep out too so that's why a lot of times when you take your car and to get new tires they sit there with the grinding wheel and kind of just buff up your your inside of your rim where the tire bead seals to make sure it's going to make a, a, a better seal but so you're a nitrogen guy and i'm not a nitrogen guy so that's neat, but...
1: Um, I've, I've got regular air in some of my tires. Well,
0: good, good. That's it's not all hot air, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're full of here yeah. on the Car Guys Report. These two dopes talking about cars all the time, and they're just full of a bunch of hot air. I don't care if it's nitrogen or not, but actually the watchword, though, with your tires is just check and maintain the correct tire pressure regularly. Uh, and just follow what the inflation pressure says on your car or in your owner's manual, and Check it periodically, and uh, whether you're using nitrogen or uh, air in your tires, um, you should be fine, and things should work out very well. Lou, you're a, a muscle car kind of guy. Yes, sir. am. And uh, are you, you know, one thing I actually don't know about you, are you like a, I mean, you have a Mopar with the, with the Viper, are you more of a Ford guy, a GM guy, a Mopar guy, you, do you have any preference, or... Um.
1: Well, I have had a Mustang before, so I'm I would th- then qualify as a Ford guy, and uh, I definitely like the the Chrysler styling mm-hmm. on some of the muscle cars. And at the same time, I mean, I can enjoy the, the problem is I like all muscle cars, right? I mean, so uh, to really rank one over the other would be challenging for me. But uh, I, I guess my my short answer is I can appreciate everybody's muscle car. Um, if I had to say you can only pick five muscle cars, I might go with a Judge GTO. Um, I might go with a, uh, uh, you know, a 60s Mustang. So I'm making it really easy for people to like it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's not, although this wouldn't be considered necessarily a muscle car, but how can you not like a 63 split window Corvette? Um, you know, and at the same time, I mean, uh, uh, you know, some of the early Camaros and even some of the 70 Camaros, I really like some of those. So... Uh, I, I actually uh, have a little fondness towards the 79 Z28 and the 79 80 when they put those little funky 70s disco colors on the side mm-hmm. of them. So
0: I'm a sucker the for The good old IROC Zs from yeah. that era? Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm a sucker for the muscle cars.
0: Yeah. Okay. The reason I ask is because um, obviously the muscle car wars are, are being fought on a daily basis in the showrooms versus the uh, with the uh, – uh, Chrysler uh, Challenger the uh, Chevy Camaro and the Mustang, and Mustang is still uh pretty much far and away number one. They sold seventy five thousand eight hundred and forty two Mustangs last year in the u s but uh, Dodge actually Dodge Chrysler, whatever but the Dodge Challenger has uh, taken over second place and it has bumped the Camaro to third place Dodge sold sixty six thousand Seven hundred and sixteen challengers in twenty eighteen and uh, the Camaro fell back to third place with fifty thousand nine hundred and sixty three sales so those are still pretty healthy sales I think for that segment because you got to think that the the market for a two door ostensibly i you know these are four seat cars, but you're never going to have more than two people in them as far as I'm concerned, maybe a dog or a small child in the back seat, but that's about it um for a two door uh, coupe, uh, selling you know if you if you total those uh, figures up, it'd be seventy five and fifty is one hundred and twenty five plus another sixty six, so like two hundred thousand uh, of that model. That's still pretty healthy sales, and that's why one reason I think they 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 continue to sell them. Plus they're halo cars for the for the car companies as well. I mean I think the new Camaro is a fabulous car. That's that's a very very cool car, and that might actually when the twenty nineteen numbers come out, that might be enough to edge out the Challenger, because that design's getting a little old, but they keep introducing, you know, the Demon and the Hellcat and all these variations on it, which kind of keeps the uh, the interest level higher. But, you know, these things aren't cheap either. Um, you know, base Mustang, we're talking the base one with the EcoBoost starts at 26300 but then you can get way up to the uh, GT350R. Shelby mustang at uh, nearly seventy two thousand dollars and of course we know that uh hellcats uh the the red eye wide body can hit ninety six thousand dollars in price and the uh, camaro ls starts starts near where the mustang starts at about twenty six thousand but you get the zl1 uh gets up to about seventy four thousand dollars so they're not cheap but the amount of performance that you are getting for the dollar is just unbelievable and it's it's just I think that's that's the, the the coolest part we've talked about before how we're in the golden age of horsepower and things like that and we're living it every day and to be able to get that kind of performance even you know we were talking the in in the previous episode a couple time, uh, a couple uh, episodes ago about the average sale price on a used car or a new car is like thirty eight thousand dollars now so that's all in the ballpark but it's interesting to see if um, the uh, Dodge Challenger will maintain its uh, number two position or will the Camaro uh, retake it at that point?
1: Well, one of the things that you like doing to your cars is personalizing. I mean, you talk about an ability to personalize your cars today. Whether it's Camaro, Mustang, or Challenger, one of the bonuses is the aftermarket. Oh, yeah. So you can turn it into anything you want, and uh, you know, then you've got the manufacturers, Shelby, Roush, uh, Etc. that uh, Yanko um you know uh, uh uh Nikki Chevrolet who stamp their badge on there, mm-hmm. and it gets pretty exciting plus the other things i want to mention is real quick is the then you've got the upgrades to some of those you've got the Dodge uh has the uh, drag pack mm-hmm. and the Cobra for the the Cobra Jet for the Mustang and then the Copo for you know so they it can get really Silly, expensive, and that makes it to me fun. Sure does.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it's all about these days. You know, with with the way manufacturing is and everything, and the way the internet is, everything is becoming custom and personalized. And that's actually what we were just talking about in the last episode about you know podcasting is kind of personalizing your podcast because you can have the ability to listen to it whenever you want, wherever you want, and, and things like that. And same thing with cars. You can you can do. Pretty much whatever you want with a car these days, and whether it's from the factory, like if you get a Bentley, the the, the bespoke uh, Bentleys and Rolls Royces, where you can literally bring in any color. You can bring in a nail polish color. You can bring in wall paint and say, match this color, and they'll do it. Of course, you've got to pay for it, but they'll do it. And that's the beauty of it. I mean, we've never lived in this kind of... Uh, world before where we had the abilities to do that. Before the show started, Lou and I were talking about the uh, Datsun 2000, which is uh, originally called the Fair Lady. I believe that was the name of the model when it was sold in Japan. And the car was brought into the U.S. in the late 60s on uh, Bring a Trailer, a Datsun. Um, they call it the uh, Datsun uh, 2000 Roadster, but it's, it's the Fair Lady. It's kind of a cross between a MG, um, an MG and, uh, to me, a triumph TR six, it kind of slots in between the size of those two cars, but it's got the same flavor. It's a two door, uh, convertible from the late sixties into the early seventies. Um, you know, reasonable amount of performance for what it is and, uh, you know, fairly low entry price at the time although I think it would be a heck of a lot more reliable in its day than its equivalent from England. And this 1968 Datsun 2000 Roadster sold at uh, Bring a Trailer for $7,500. And it wasn't perfect, um, but it's a decent, you know, not an all-original car, but first of all, try to find another one these days. They're out there, but uh, they're not real plentiful. And it's a decent-looking car. I I was telling Lou that, I took a close look at one at a cars and coffee recently and was talking to the owner and his car was, again, it was a little modified. It had different seats in it and stuff, but the body was still, uh, correct and everything as a neat car. I really enjoyed looking at it. And you said that you definitely had some thoughts about the, uh, on the Datsun Roadsters.
1: Well, the challenge in 68, when you're talking about the Japanese cars is they weren't really prepared for, uh, Midwest weather mm-hmm. or anything like that with salt and things so these cars would literally evaporate in two years from rust I mean they would just be gone mm-hmm. so when you see one I mean even today even if you've seen them back then your head kind of turns sideways like a dog where the bone you thought was thrown and you're like oh, because it's just a different looking car and uh, to find one that's that's clean is unbelievable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what attracted me to this sale because I always try to look at stuff that I either think was well bought or well sold. And uh for 7500 bucks, you could probably dump another I don't know, 3 5 grand into this thing and sort it out a little bit and you'd have a a great little car for a, you know, weekend uh cars and coffees or just, you know, maybe some vintage rallies and things like that. And again, this this also plays into the fact that I think the a lot of the Asian cars, Japanese cars in particular, are really starting to get more respect in the market. I mean, for years, it's been nothing but just the Z cars from Datsun, which are awesome, and they, they've always held their value well. But you're seeing a lot more of the, um, the Nissan Skylines now that you can bring them into the U.S. Uh, with the 25-year rule. And just a lot of the the little uh, city cars, the, the the K cars that we were talking about, the K E I uh, micro cars and things like that—they're just getting more um, more respect, I think. And anytime that happens in the automotive world, you're going to see the uh, the demand go up, the prices go up and it makes it harder to find a good one then because all the good stuff gets snatched up quicker than you would think but if you like the car guys report informed automotive then make sure to check out some of the other programs on the radio misfits podcast network you can watch uh, check out the um podcast called Good in Chicago. It's a new web series, actually. It's an OPI show. No negativity, just highlights of some positive things going on in the city. Brendan Greeley and Roshanna Baldwin are good in Chicago. Check it out now at opishows.com. It's all under the Radio Misfits podcast network umbrella. It's only on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place. Check it out online at radiomisfits.com. I'm Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable. You are listening to the Car Guys Report informed automotive and not to beat a dead horse, Lou, but you know, we keep talking about Uh, Cars that pop up on Bring a Trailer, and it's just a a go-to place uh, as far as I'm concerned. One vehicle that kind of popped up, of course, you couldn't bring it into the the U.S. because it was a 2001, so it hasn't hit the 25-year mark yet. But this one just kind of caught my eye just because it would have some interesting possibilities on the used car market. It was a no reserve uh, sale. It was a 2001 London taxi. And it's that classic kind of London, modern London taxi style and i don't even know really if i thought they were like austins or something like that but it doesn't really say that what the what the actual brand is it has a, a diesel inline 4 cylinder a 2. Point, almost a 2.7 liter diesel inline 4 automatic transmission i mean acres of room in the back seat nice high cabin so you could get in with your bowler hat on you'd have no problems this one sold in um, in italy had 295,000 miles on it which for a taxi sounds like it's just getting broken in especially being a diesel and this thing went for two grand and i was just thinking boy if you're in uh, somewhere in europe and you just want to have fun and they have uber over there <laughs> if you could use that as an uber um you certainly wouldn't be mistaken you'd pull up and they'd go oh yeah wow that's a taxi cool um because most of the time i remember back in the day when you'd see uh you know a checker cab uh more often than you do now unless you're like in downtown Chicago, every now and then a, um, uh, automotive journalist would get a, a checker cab for a, a road test per se. And they'd say they'd be just driving along and people would be trying to hail you down for a ride and things like that. It's just hilarious. I just, I just got a kick out of that. So just something, a little bit of an oddity that I wanted to bring up. But uh, used cars, you know, Lou and I talk about this uh, constantly on the program because we're always uh, looking for the bargains, uh, making depreciation work to our advantage. And some of the used cars to avoid. Some of this I'm not exactly sure. This was a recently released uh, poll um or a listing that that popped up online, and they said to avoid crossovers. And I'm not exactly sure what they meant by that because crossovers is like the hottest category right now in in, uh, cars, so in the automotive world. So I'm not exactly sure why they said that, maybe because— they haven't depreciated that much yet, and you, you might be better off buying a a new one. Although your Lincoln, you took advantage of nice depreciation on that. So mm-hmm. I'm a little confused by that one. Unique and trendy cars. Well, you know, Lou's got a Viper. That's a trendy car, but it's not for everybody. Sports cars. Well, there you go again. Corvettes, things like that. Uh, just because they're 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 not that practical, and people probably think they're more expensive to repair. Um, one thing that I've never shied away from, and it was on the list, was a discontinued or what we would call an orphan brand. In the automotive world, orphan is considered a car that is either no longer manufactured or imported into the U.S., and that could be anything from a classic like a Hudson or a Nash to now Saab is an orphan vehicle, Saturn is an orphan, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, any brand that that isn't made anymore. And people freak out because they think, oh, we can't get parts and stuff. And I think it's that federally mandated thing where they have to make parts for seven years after they discontinue something. But for most parts, I've owned a bunch of weird stuff. I've owned the Lecar, I've owned Peugeots, I've owned... Uh, you know my numerous sobs before they were orphans and i never had a had an issue with buying something that was a discontinued or an orphan model i never freaked out about that have you been in that situation before
1: um i haven't uh, uh i've usually had mainline ford chevy chrysler so i haven't had anything that was american motors or something mm. that you know is no longer around but uh um i'm you know, so I probably wouldn't be the best person to have that conversation with, mm-hmm. but it, it seems but like... But given, you, well,
0: let's say, like, given the the opportunity, if something came up, that would you, in this day and age now, would you would you still, would you have any hesitation?
1: You know, if somebody said to me, Lou, you know, I've got an AMC, you know, AMX. Yeah. And it's for sale. You know, are you interested? And if it was the right price, I probably wouldn't bat an eye. Because yeah. I think he'd still, you know, be able to find this stuff. I mean, the people... You know it's it's based on the people in the cars and and parts i think you get then no i wouldn't hesitate.
0: You, you wouldn't we wouldn't have a problem with that and this is another one too that again i didn't have a problem with uh when i bought my fiat 500 it was a, a 2012 and that was the first year that they actually it was sold in 2011 i bought it the last day of 2011 but it's a 2012 model probably about three or four months after they were officially re-released in the U.S. after, you know, decades. And people always said, say, you should avoid a recently released model. And there is some truth to that, I think, just because of the fact that you think there's there may be some teething problems, some issues that might crop up as the cars accumulate more owners and mileage. Um, I didn't have a problem with wanting to get the Fiat for three reasons— one, because the model had already been being sold in Europe for many years, so you you would hopefully think that they had any issues sorted out by the time they decided to to modify the car somewhat and bring it here. Secondly, and I think this, this is the biggest factor, is the fact that after two decades or however long it was, or even longer than that, when since Fiat had sold in the U.S., that if they're making a comeback into the U.S. after that time, they only have one shot, and they're not going to mess up. And one thing that really impressed me about about my little Fiat Five Hundred is you, you open the hood, and like every fastener under the hood, whether it's a screw or a hex bolt or whatever, has chalk marks on it, like it's been double and triple checked wow. at the factory yeah, to make great. sure everything's tight and everything. It, it literally, and this is a you know a car that was fifteen thousand dollars, you know, very entry level vehicle, and I have not had any any issues per se i mean i just had a a brake light burn out on me um last week which was you know seven years old so it's time for a brake light to burn out but nothing major at all so again you just have to you know what is your comfort level i think is what it is it goes along with with a orphan brand or recently released model if you have enough confidence in the company or in the history of the car then um you know, you should be okay. But these days, it just seems like so many people want to buy something used, whether it's a, a car, a house, whatever. And they just think that it should be perfect.
1: Well, even there's companies out there like original parts group where they actually purchase a vehicle and they strip it down and then remanufacture the part mm-hmm. that you've seen. So, um, and today with, with the way people can, uh, computer aid, parts and things like that that
0: 3d printing too yeah Yeah.
1: you know you can all of a sudden have the same armrest and things like that Mm -hmm. so i don't know um if that's a biggest concern as as big of a concern as it would be to me maybe 20 years ago yeah but today i wouldn't even think about that
0: it always seems too that uh at least as parts go it always seems like there's somebody somewhere that either has a stockpile of new old stock parts, which is a part that new old stock, that that, that term gets a little uh, muddied these days. But uh, to me, a true true new old stock part is a part that is in its original packaging that has just literally been on a shelf for like 30 or 40 years sitting unsold. So it might have a little like shopware on it from being jostled around on the shelf, but it's just a part that's just been sitting there for like I said, 30 or 40 years and and unsold. And it always seems like there's somebody that's, for some reason, either discovers a, a cache of new old stock parts or they buy out like an auto store that's going out of business and in the basement there's, you know, wow, here's, you know, 200 new old stock gas caps for a 55 Chevy or something like that. And it just seems that, you know, the automobile has been around for a long time and there's a ton of parts out there. So you never know where you're going to find stuff. And usually you get plugged into a club or an online forum. And it's really not that hard. And with, with places like eBay these days, a lot of those parts pop up. So just some things, you know, if you're looking for a used car, maybe you want to take some of those with a grain of salt, but. Again, I think it's – and and one thing, too, that – because I uh, – one of my other passions, Lou, uh, is watches. And I do a lot of buying and selling of watches online. And the watch word in that world is buy the seller. Don't buy the watch, meaning, you know, trust the person that you're buying from. And I think the same thing can be said for cars. I mean, you might find that the best-looking car that you think – you want used and if you don't feel comfortable with what the seller's telling you or you know you just get a bad feeling about it then it might be best just to look elsewhere because you know the car is only going to be as good as the person that owned it right and you know that that's something to really consider if you like what we do here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, then make sure to check us out anywhere you can with your mobile device or your laptop or even your desktop. You can check us out on Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher. Apple Podcasts, and tune in. You can just search for Radio Misfits on any one of those platforms. You can also search directly for the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And once you do, please subscribe to our podcast. You'll get an automatic notification when new content is up. And then you can rate us as well. We'd love to get uh, a rating from uh, the people listening to the Car Guys Report, and certainly thank you for taking the time to do that. You can always get all the information you want on this podcast. Just head on over to radiomisfits.com. Lou, you're always running around with your camcorder. Here's a funny question. Have you actually... Have you used up a camcorder yet, or are you still on your original one?
1: You know, I've been fortunate. My, I uh, do a good job of adding and deleting, so mine still seems to to play the game. And I've got a uh, Sony, and they're usually pretty dependable. And coming up on your channel, you're looking at your phone, figuring out what to tell us about well, we get got a little stack of good ones. There's a 1970 Ford Boss 302 Mustang introductory car, hmm. which only 11 of them were built. They were all in bright yellow. Wow. And the bo- these Bosses are different from the ones they sold because these have the, you can really tell if you looked at the back of it, it has the Mach 1 chrome trim around the taillights versus usually they were just black panels in the back. And it also has uh, some trim on the top and bottom of that black panel. Then another one is a uh, 2018 Ford GT. That's one of them. That's one of my son's favorites out there. And there's a 69 Mercury Cyclone Dan Gurney Edition. Wow. They only made about 500 of them between the Kale Yarborough and Dan Gurney Editions, and I think only 212 of them were the Dan Gurney, which...
0: What makes it a a Dan Gurney Edition?
1: Good question. So the Mercury Cyclone's got the flat back end, Mm -hmm. or the flat, or the... uh, uh, the fast back back end, and the Dan Gurney would be blue, and the Kale Yarborough is red. Okay, and, and on the quarter panel, excuse me, on the front fenders, one says Dan Gurney Special, the other says Kale Yarborough. Wow! But the one thing that I didn't realize was the front of these cars. There's a W car, and there's a. Um, nascar edition Hmm. so on the front the one the headlights are panned in and the nose is out which makes it look like a w yeah and the other one is a solid flat i know the w one you're talking about because i thought cyclones are cool yeah so there's a flat grill all the way across which was more of the nascar edition uh but i did not know that when i videoed those and
0: did, did that have the 428 cobra jet in it or
1: well, there was three options. There was a three fifty one, which this one happens to have. There was a three ninety, and then there was a four twenty eight. Yeah, wow. And the three fifty did not have an open air dam on the hood, but the four twenty eight did have a functional air scoop. Okay. So, and then uh, another one that's that's getting a lot of hits right now is a fifty seven, nineteen fifty seven Chrysler New Yorker convertible in turquoise. Cool. So, yeah, that's a uh, a great car and a great story. And I'll just give you a quick tidbit to that story where I said, so why do you have so many cars? And uh, he said, well, you know, actually, I couldn't get my driver's license at first. I went for my driver's license, and I, you know, this guy came across the front of my car, so I beeped the horn when the driver instructor was there. He thought that was a bad idea. (laughs) So it's just a good story. I'll leave it right there, but you want to check out the 1957 Chrysler New Yorker convertible in turquoise.
0: From muscle cars to certified classics, you'll get it all on My Car Story with Lou make sure you check it out on YouTube. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, a special guest and a show about the much misunderstood 1958 Buick. That'll be a lot of fun. You've been listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. O-P-I is hippo, spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's Distributed by Ed Silha. It's all part of RadioMisfits.com. Check it out online. Thanks so much for listening to the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
1: The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including OpieShows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of OPI Productions. Tony, can you shut up? This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Five guys fighting at... Five guys. An obscene wedding invitation. Hey, is that a cooler full of... Penises? <laughs> what happened on the day I was born at Wrigley Field? Rick's brush with Governor Jim Edgar. And we interview Esra Mohawk. Rock star. Who uh, is the singer of the schoolhouse rock song, Interjections, among many other things. All that and unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. The
0: Tony Lasano Podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast
1: Network. Radiomisfits.com. <laughs> <coughs> a lot of anchors do that. <coughs> 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 yeah, it's a thing.
0: <coughs> Are you ready? Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Let's do it again. What?
1: That was good. Now we messed it all up. What's wrong? What? How? It was going good and then it went south. <laughs> no, it didn't. Well, if that went south, get, see what happens now.
0: Okay, you ready? Yeah. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Back to you on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. I need an agent. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, informed automotive, it's a special guest talking about the 1958 Buick. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and my special guest for this story and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lozano podcast, an Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.